Gonna get even better. Matthew chapter 25 is where I wanna ask you to turn or click to today. As we land our series, These Walls Must Fall, and this series with the tagline of breaking barriers to God's blessing. And I'm landing this series today, and the next week, Pastor Richard Hinojosa is flying up from Brownsville, Texas, deep south Texas, to be here as our special guest for both our Kingdom Builders Banquet on Saturday evening. And if you haven't had a chance to RSVP for that, that is our appreciation evening for anyone who serves or gives in any capacity. There's a few more spots remaining uh, there for that event, so I want to encourage you to jump in and, and be part of that. Don't miss it. We would love to have you there. It's, there's no fundraising or no programming except for just fellowship and friendship and food and a message from Pastor Richard and some worship together over at the Jayhawk Club, so it's going to be a great night. I hope you'll be there. But then he'll be back here Sunday morning uh, to bring the word. You also don't want to miss that. He's just one of the most dynamic uh, and powerful preachers and prophetic voices to the church, really anywhere in the, in the body of Christ today. So don't make, make plans, even maybe change plans so that you could be a part of those two events. And so today we'll land this series, uh, These Walls Must Fall, Breaking Barriers to God's Blessing. And the key scripture has been out of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I know I told you to turn to Matthew chapter 25. We'll get there here in a second. But uh, the, 2 Corinthians 10 says this, though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. So Paul says we, knock, we don't wage war according to the, the way that the world does, but we do have a battle that we're up against, but God's given us weapons, and he says we knock down the strongholds. That's the right verb to use because that word stronghold in the original Greek means a fortress of walls. And so he's intentional when he says we knock down these walls that keep us from living in and experiencing God's best for our life. And so that's been the theme of this series is just talking about some of the things that can keep us or hold us back or hinder us from moving forward in faith and experiencing the best life that God has for us. And so today I wanna to talk to you about something that I think is really, really critical to win the battle, to tear down these strongholds so that we can live in the fullness of what God has for us. And here's where we find Matthew chapter 25 coming into play. And this is the parable of the talents. And many of us have probably been familiar with this parable or this Bible story. Many of us have probably heard it preached upon maybe in different ways. And maybe you've even heard it preached upon in this specific way, but this is a different angle than I've ever taken as it regards expounding upon this passage, the parable of the stewards, the parable of the talents. And so let's allow me to read for us Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. And it says this, it says, for the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and trusted to them his property. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away, and he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground, dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. He who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on, how many want to hear that from the heart of the Lord when you get to his presence? And he said, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
He who also had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew I reap where I have not sown, I gather where I have scattered no seed, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, at least have put it in the bank, he says, and at my coming, I should have received what was mine, at least with interest. So take the talent from him, give it to the one who has 10 talents, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Cast the worthless servant into outer darkness, the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I know an uncomfortable statement right there, but it underlines this point. Stewardship matters to God. He's serious about it. So he, he, the, here's the moral of the story. He comes and he says, there's five talents for you, two talents for you, one talent for you. And there was an expectation that those who had received these talents would make something with what God had entrusted to them. And, you know, we see these numbers in the relatively small numbers, five talents, two talents, one talent. But if you look it up, a, a talent is, uh, depends on, on kind of what, what resource you're using, but it's between 76 and 102 pounds of gold is what was being entrusted. That's one talent. I looked it up, and in 2019, one talent, the guy that got the one talent, that gold in today's economy would be worth $1,870,786. And I, so it's 1.8 million. I know inflation has happened, and so now it will get you a number seven combo and a small fries, you know. It, <laughs> But here's the point is, this was significant what God had entrusted to them. And until I started researching, I don't know that I'd ever really even, it had really even hit my spirit how significant this was, what God had entrusted to them, because we tend to look at five, two, and one, but really the five talents would have been $9 million. The two talents would have been pushing $4 million. And even the guy that just got one, $1.8 million is what had been entrusted to him. So, so God takes stewardship uh, very, very seriously. But here's the point that I want to draw out that I've really never extracted and preached from as it regards this passage. And did you catch what he said? He said, I was afraid, so I went and hid your money. And the New Living Translation underlines it even more clearly, the point that I'm about to make. I'm, I'm, I'm driving us to the, the title of the message today. When it says this in verse 25, it says, I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. And I want to talk to you today about the, the heart of this issue is actually the fear of failure. And I want to encourage you that there's a stronghold that keeps many people from moving forward and living the best life that God has for them, and it's the stronghold that is the fear of failure. And so I want to encourage you today with how to break free of the fear of failure, and I want to encourage you today that the reason that many of us have experienced this is because of the power, potential, and promise that's tied up in your life as a believer and because of the power of the message of the gospel that God has entrusted to you and to I as Christ followers. Satan brings fear of failure to cause us to shrink back from living a life of purpose and destiny, to keep us from living lives that make a difference, to cause us to play it safe rather than to live by faith. And you need to hear this today. 
You were created and saved for a purpose, to make a difference. Jeremiah 1.5, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were even born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. There's a purpose that you were formed in your mother's womb for. 2 Timothy 1.9, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Philippians 2.3, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You were created, you were saved for a purpose to make a difference. And so fear of failure begins to operate in our lives to keep us on the sidelines of life. It limits our joy, it limits our fulfillment, it limits our sense of purpose and destiny. And here's the thing that I've said before, happiness, we live in a culture that is riddled with depression, even leading to despair. And happiness is not the opposite of depression purposes. You were intended to live a life of purpose. And this is the reason that Satan oftentimes brings fear of failure to cause us to hold back or to shrink back from taking active lives of uh, taking active steps of faith towards the things that God has created and saved you for. And so, you know, we, when we think about sin, we typically think about things that we do wrong, right? But did you know that the Bible actually establishes that there's another way that we can sin? And James 4, 17 underlines it, and it says this so clearly, if anyone then knows that they, the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. The New Living Translation of the same verse, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. And how many good people, Christian people, God-loving people have known, have sensed, have felt that there was something that God had called them to do, big or small, whether it was just sharing the gospel with someone, whether it was being a blessing to someone financially, a single mom in the Walmart checkout line, whether it was building or establishing a company, going back to school to get the education you need to open the door to pursue something that God has called you to, regardless of whether it was big or small, how many of us are familiar with the sting that comes along with knowing or sensing that there was something God had called us to do and failing to follow through. I'm like, come on, I'm, I'm raising my hand. How many of you have ever felt that sting? So the Bible establishes that sin is not just bad behavior, but sin is also when we fail to step into things that God has called us, created us, and saved us to accomplish in our life. So my, my heart for you, God's heart, I believe, even more so for you, and for this church body specifically, and for the body of Christ at large, is that we will overcome the fear of failure and live active, forward-moving, difference-making lives of faith, purpose, and destiny. So here's what I want to do today. Ten concepts, and I know that's a lot, but some of them move pretty quickly, and they're all, I believe, powerfully important to, the, to this premise. Ten concepts that will help us to break free of the fear of failure. But before we get into that, let, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to prepare our hearts, soften our hearts, and do what he wants to do, speak to us in the way he wants to speak to us. Let's just get to praying. I'll pray over us corporately. Would you pray individually over your unique situations and circumstances and challenges and opportunities and oppositions? Lord, we, just, we present all those things and everything in between to you, God. Thank you that your heart today is to come and strengthen your people to live by faith, to soar above and beyond fear, to discover and not just discover, but then to fulfill and enjoy the purpose for which we were created and saved to accomplish. Lord, we thank you for eternal life that we have through Jesus Christ. 
but we thank you that your word is also super abundantly clear that there's a purpose and a destiny on this side of heaven that you desire for every man, woman, and young adult to connect to and to experience and to enjoy the fulfillment of. Father, we, we ask you to come and do what only you could do, Lord, to speak, to bring hope, to bring life, to bring freedom, where maybe we've fallen into bondage, whether it's this one or another one that's keeping us or holding us or hindering us, Lord, from living the life you've called us to live through Christ Jesus. We just thank you, Lord, that you are able and you are willing and Lord, let it happen today, God, that you would bring freedom today in Jesus' name, that you would bring strength and life and hope and courage in Jesus' name. And come on, if you'll receive just a, even a little bit of that for yourself, your marriage, your family, your future, come on, give the Lord a good amen. amen. All right, 10 concepts to help us break the stronghold of the fear of failure. Number one is perspective. And by the way, as you might expect, all 10 of these start with the letter P. So <laughs> somehow, some way. So num number one, perspective. And here's what it means. We gotta see failure differently. We've got to be willing to see failure differently, that, that God sees it differently than maybe we have seen it. With God, failure is never final. With God, because he's called us to live lives of faith, because he's called us to pray for the sick, because he's called us to sh be bold, to share the gospel, because he's called us to step out and lead others and influence others because he's called us to be culture shapers and difference makers. And many times, in many ways, failures and setbacks are even a necessary part because he's called us to live daring lives of faith. It, we've gotta be willing to see this differently, that failure is never final, that failure is oftentimes part of the process that God has in, started in our life to initiate the, the, the things that we need to learn, the things we need to apprehend, the things we need to discover so that we can ultimately succeed in the things that God has called us to. First Corinthians 10, verse 11, I'm reading from the Living Bible, says this, all these things happened to them, speaking about the people of the Bible and the, the way that the Bible accounts for everything that people went through because I don't know about you, but I can appreciate that the Bible tells the good, the bad, and the ugly of people's lives. The Bible doesn't shy away from the difficult seasons. The Bible doesn't shy away from the, from the mistakes, the, even the failures of the people of the Bible. And that's what this is speaking of. All these things happen to them as examples, as object lessons to us, to warn us against doing the same things. They were written down so that we could read about them and learn from them in these last days as the world nears its end. So here's the thing you could take away from that is that every person in the Bible except for Jesus committed sin, was in some way, in some moment, in some area of their life, a failure, made mistakes, misgivings, mis missteps, misdeeds. Every person in the Bible, Jesus was the only one that did it, but did you know that according to the perspective of people, there were moments in his life where he was a failure? What do you mean, Pastor T? Well, he went to his hometown and he couldn't heal people because of their lack of faith. Remember, the Bible says that. I'm sure some people stood around and said, well, didn't they say he was going to heal everybody? That's what he did down the street. Remember when they, he hung on that cross and said, surely, surely he could save himself. He saved everyone else. There were even moments in his life where from the perspective, remember that's the P we're talking about, perspective, from the perspective of the world, they even looked at Jesus. And here's what we could take away from it. In the perspective of the world where Jesus was a failure as he came to be the savior and the king and he was dying on that cross as he couldn't heal everyone in that city of Nazareth when people were sitting there and, and they were mocking and they were looking upon Jesus as a failure, God was working in, in the midst of it all. 
we've got to be willing and able to begin to see it differently. I love this statement. This is one of my favorite quotes. Sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. I just think that's a much better way to say it than sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Because with God, a loss or a failure is a temporary setback. And it's an opportunity to learn and to deepen your faith and your trust and your dependency upon God for the future successes that he has invited you to. Proverbs 24, 16 says, though a righteous person stumbles seven times, they get up and they rise again. Did you catch that? Even a righteous person, he's not talking about sinners or lost people or people who are, who are opposing God. He says righteous people. That's you and I as the people of God. He says even righteous people are gonna have some setbacks going to experience a failure. But with God, you don't lose unless you stop trying. And he says you get up and you keep moving even seven times. And so we've gotta be willing to see this differently. That failure is an opportunity to learn. You know, when we moved here to Lawrence, Kansas, we love Lawrence, Kansas. We moved here from South Texas in Brownsville where we served in that church where Pastor Richard's coming from next week to minister here to us. And, and we moved here, one of the, uh, we got our kids involved in some youth sports. And, and one of the things I, I noticed right away is that in Lawrence and the youth sports that we were involved in, at least at that time, and as they get older, this changes, but in the, in the young kids, they wouldn't keep score at the kids' sporting events. And it drove me crazy. And here's the thing is, I, I, the, the parents were keeping score. You better believe it. And even the kids would run off that soccer field and say, did we win? Did we win? Did we win? And here's the thing. I personally believe, it's my humble opinion. If you disagree, I'll continue to try to convince you. But I, I, I don't believe we're doing kids any favors, not giving them the opportunity to learn how it feels to win and to lose. And to learn how to respond in a godly, gracious way when you win and when you lose. Did you know that there are some things you can only learn from a difficult loss in life? I think we ought to put that score. I, like, I wish it was like it was when I was a kid, when I was growing up in youth sports, where they would actually gather the whole team around at the end of the year and award a most valuable player trophy to one kid. They would say, all of you did pretty good, but this kid is way better than all of you guys. It's true. Some things you can only learn from failure. I heard a, a CEO of a Fortune 500 company who happens to be a woman, he, she was sharing um, in a conference and she, she shared this. They said, what's the secret to your success? Because she had just achieved and overachieved and, and rose to the pinnacles of what even the earthly system defines as success. And, and I think there were a lot of expectations for what she might say there, but she said, I owe it all to my dad. And she went on and she said, my dad would sit me down every week at the end of the week, and he had a question for me, and he said, what did you fail at this week? And you think, that sounds harsh. Here's the kicker. She was only in trouble if she didn't have an answer. The expectation that the father had established was I am raising you to try audacious things, to live courageously, to dare and to dream boldly and to step out and try something. The only way you'll ever be in trouble at the end of the week is if you don't have something that you stepped out and tried to accomplish that you couldn't quite accomplish yet. And she said, it established in me this idea that I could do more than what the cultural expectations would place upon my life. And it caused me to be willing to step out and take steps of faith and to try things I didn't think I could do and to go places I wasn't 
wasn't supposed to go and to try things that the world says I couldn't do as a woman from wherever she was from. And I'm just telling you that there are some things you can only learn through losses, missteps, misdeeds, mistakes, and even things that the world would call failure in life. Sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. Number two, people is people. And 1 Chronicles 19, 13 says this, be strong and let's show ourselves courageous for the benefit of our people and for the cities of our God. Did you know if you shrink back, if you allow the voice of the enemy to cause you to shrink back in the fear of failure, there are people that God has called you to be a blessing to who will not receive the blessing of your calling, your purpose, and your destiny in life. And so we gotta allow this to motivate us. I mean, I'm, I'm just telling you that when you are riddled with the fear of failure, Maybe allow yourself to envision and realize what's at stake for others in your life if you allow that voice of fear to keep you or cause you from moving forward to do what God has put in your heart to do. People, God has called us to be blessed, not just for our own sake. There are things and benefits that we obviously receive, the fulfillment, the, the healthy sense of pride of a job well done, the sense of, of accomplishment that we can Achieve, but God inevitably, every place where God has established a purpose in your life, it's always about being a blessing to other people. Well, what do you mean, Pastor GSL Insurance? There's people that you're helping to insure and provide a safety net for their family. Well, what do you mean, Pastor T? I, 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 I fried chicken sandwiches. Come on, there are hungry people who are needing the Lord's chicken. It's closed on Sunday. Don't try to go there. People. If you shrink back, the people who would be blessed by what God has put in your heart will not receive the fullness of the blessing that God has for you. Number three is procrastination. Number four is related to it, and it's presumption. And these are just concepts. Again, some of these are things we need to focus on. Some of these things are things we need to be aware of and mindful of. Procrastination and presumption. The enemy operates in procrastination and presumption. And here's what that sounds like as we're, as, as we're responding to something, a step of faith, that God has called us to insert whatever that is for you, to make the phone call, to extend the forgiveness, to go back to school, to start the business, to lead a life, whatever it is for you. Here's what this oftentimes sounds like, maybe one day or perhaps someday. And procrastination is always just kind of putting it off and presumption is always assuming that there will be an opportunity to have another day to accomplish the thing that God has put in your heart. But did you know that God's word is give us this day. So, so Satan operates in procrastination and presumption, which is maybe one day or perhaps someday. But God says, give us this day our daily bread. And he's called us to live daily lives of faith. The pathway to your life vision, the big thing that God has put in your heart or called you to, 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 daringly, to daringly pursue or to dream about or to go after, the pathway to that life vision is always paved with daily decision. And Proverbs 27.1 says, don't boast about tomorrow. You do not know what a day may bring. So here's what it's not. It's not calling us to haphazard decisions because Jesus said, I want you to count the cost. No one built something without counting the cost. This is not, this is not haphazard or foolish living, but this is seizing the opportunity to take the steps of faith and obedience today that God has called you to take. In your health, one decision, one new discipline. In your marriage, in your family, one rededication to some of the things that you used to do to win that person's heart. 
begin to overcome the challenges of procrastination and presumption, which leads us to how, what faith calls us to live out, which is priority and pursuit. Does what matters most to God matter most to me? And, and the way we answer that question is with the way we live our life, not with what we say we believe. And, and so we're called to prioritize what matters and we're called to pursue. Matthew 6.33 kind of encapsulates both of these things when it says, seek first. Seek as in go after this. Don't wait till it comes to you. Seek. Get after it. Go after it. Chase after it. Run after it. And put it first. Seek first the kingdom of God. Come on, you just say that after me this morning. Come on, say, seek first the kingdom of God. Priority and pursuit. Number seven is God's presence. Matthew chapter 14 is a passage that many of us are familiar with. And here's what it says in verse 24. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had arisen, and they were fighting heavy waves. I wonder who maybe today in your life in some area feels like the winds are against you, and the waves are rising in your life or your marriage or your finances. And it says about 3 o'clock in the morning, come on, that's the, that's the middle of the night right there, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified, and in their fear, they cried out, it is a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid, he said, take courage, I am here. Then Peter called out to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. Come on, this is amazing, right? But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. The disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. So the life that Jesus has called us to is a life of faith, of stepping out of some places where we are and stepping into some places that even according to the principles and precepts and opinions of the world is going to seem impossible. Really, we really believe that God still heals the sick? Really, we really believe that God can still restore that relationship? Really, we really believe that God can change this city? Yes, we really believe, and we are stepping out in faith. A life of moving forward in active faith calls you towards God's presence. As long as Peter was focused on the person and the presence of Jesus, he was walking on water. He only began to sink when he began to allow the opinions and the preferences and the noise of the world, the haters of life, to begin to get into his spirit more than the person in the presence of Jesus. Living a life of active faith, purpose, and destiny, overcoming the fear of failure, causes us to desperately need and depend upon God, and that was always the life you were created to live. Fear-gripped, actionless lives do not desperately need to depend upon God. And he's called us to a life of devotion and dependence upon him. And it's time for the people of God. It's time for the church of God. It's time for men and women of God, for every believer, every disciple, not just a few, for all of us to begin to say, God, where are you calling me to step out and trust you and do something with my life that's going to require me to desperately need and depend upon you?
You say, well, well, it didn't work for Peter. Yeah, it did. He didn't sink. It says he started to. It says he started to. But Jesus was right there. And yeah, maybe there, Jesus was teaching him a lesson and maybe he could have made it a little bit further, but the, I think that it was probably pleasing to Jesus to see of all the guys that were riddled in the, I mean, come on, they were, they were riddled and gripped with fear. They thought, it's a ghost, the ghost has come to get us, you know? And I think there's probably a pride in Jesus' heart that Peter was the one that was willing to step up, step out, and get moving towards something that seemed impossible with man. Because do you know that the Bible is still true when it says the things that are impossible with man are possible with whom? With God. So God's presence. Active, forward-moving, faith-filled lives draw us to God's presence, require us to desperately depend Upon him. John 15, 5 says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Say much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. It's a comparative statement because there's obviously something you can accomplish in your own strength. But compared to what you can accomplish leaning upon and depending upon and trusting in and living for Jesus Christ, what you can accomplish in your own strength is nothing compared to what God intends to lead you to accomplish with him. With him. I, I, I appreciate that this is kind of semantical and I don't want to be legalistic about it, but a lot of times we say I want to do something for God. I think the better way to say it is I want to do something with God. I mean, I get it. I, 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 it's, it's not illegal to say or out of bounds to say I want to do something big for God. But he never intends you to do it or go it alone. He's always the center. Always the motivation. And it's always fueled out of a desire for relationship and partnership. Daring lives of faith, active lives of faith, call us to God's presence. Number eight is perseverance. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about this, and I don't think we do a very effective job at encouraging people with the reality of this concept that when we step out to live lives of faith, we're going to have to embrace what I'm about to read to you in multiple passages that's very specifically clear. You're going to come to times in life where you're just gonna have to keep moving. It's not gonna feel good, it's not gonna look good, it's not gonna uh, um, necessarily be fun. You're gonna have to just decide, I'm, I've set my heart on the Lord and his call, his purpose, his destiny, his goodness for my life, and I'm running into some opposition. I'm going to have to persevere. Romans 2, 7 says, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. The same scripture, the New Living Translation says, he will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good. Hebrews 12, 1 and 4 says, let us run our race with endurance. Hebrews 10, 36 says it may be as plainly and clearly as any of those passages when it says you need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you can receive what he has promised. This is not about striving for our relationship with God or our salvation that is eternally secure through the death and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is about setting our hearts, making a determination in advance of the storm, the wind, the waves, the opposition, the obstacles, and the opinions of men that I am going to persevere, relentlessly pursue, chase after the presence of God, the purposes of God, so that I can be a blessing to the people of God, even in the midst of 
challenges. Man, come on, we need a church that is full of resolve. If we fold up at any sign of opposition or any sign of resistance or any sign that we might be deemed un unpopular in, the, in this culture, the culture is going to win and darkness is going to sweep over our nation. We need a church that has some revolve, some resolve, a spine, a backbone, a willingness to determine in advance we're gonna persevere so that the kingdom of God can continue to advance. I love this example. I've used it before, but it bears repeating. There was a young man who felt like um, he, God had a destiny on his life, and he stepped out and began to chase after big things. And in 1831, he lost his first job, was unemployed. In 1832, he ran for legislature but was defeated. In 1833, he had started a business in the wake of losing his job, and that business failed and caused him to have to shutter the business. In 1835, a woman he had dated for four years, that's not a short time, declined his marriage proposal, hopefully not on the jumbotron. <laughs> Which I, by the way, have seen happen in person in the flesh at a Texas Rangers game, and it was very awkward. <laughs> 1836, had a nervous, suffered a complete nervous breakdown. 1838, defeated and run for house. 1843, defeated and run for Congress. 1848, lost the renomination. 1849, rejected for a land officer position for which he was nominated. 1854, defeated in U.S. Senate run. 1856, defeated and run for nomination for vice president. 1858, defeated and run for Senate. 1860, he was elected president. His name is Abraham Lincoln. How many times would I have to have suffered defeat to close up shop and fold up and go home and say, it must not be God's will. He's an imperfect man, but God put him in that position, and he was used in many ways of God, I believe, to, bring a, to initiate some things that were very challenging, very hard, very painful, very unfortunate chapters in the history of our nation. But aren't you glad that there was a man who had that kind of a resolve that was in that position in such a time as that? Steph Curry, uh, there, there's a, here's a sports analogy for y'all. How many who of you like sports analogies? Let me hear from you. Steph Curry, if you don't know, is one of the greatest shooters, probably the greatest shooter in the history of modern basketball. He plays for the Golden State Warriors on November 3rd, 2016. The man who is pretty easily and broadly accepted as the greatest shooter in the history of modern basketball, set the NBA record, all-time record for three-point futility when he went 0 for 10 against the Los Angeles Lakers. The very next night, November 4th, he suited up again and he kept shooting and against the um, New Orleans Pelicans, maybe he was inspired because that is not a daunting mascot right there. He was playing the Pelicans, you know, they kind of beak you to death, I guess, or something. He was playing the Pelicans, and he set the NBA record the very next night, 13 uh, consecutive three-pointers without a miss. Here, here's, here's the moral of that story. You got to keep shooting. He went 0 for 10 the night before. And I don't know about you, but I might have thought twice about putting up another three-pointer for a little bit. I probably would have passed it a few more times than normal. And I don't know, maybe he did, but all I know is he shot enough to set the all-time NBA record for made three-pointers the very next night after setting the all-time mark for shooting futility. You, I think as Wayne Gretzky said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. You gotta keep shooting. Maybe you tried to have a relationship. Maybe you've experienced a rejection. Maybe you 
failed out of the program or the school. Maybe you started a company or a business and it didn't go well for you. Maybe you tried to serve in church. Maybe you launched a life group a couple semesters ago and no one showed up. I don't know what it is for you. Keep shooting. You miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. God has called us to be a persevering people. And I'm just telling you, if you keep your eyes focused on his presence, if you keep persevering, if you keep the people on the other side of what it is that you're stepping out to do or build or accomplish as the object of the blessing on the other side of it, I'm just telling you the shots will start falling for you. But the enemy comes with fear of failure and he wants to keep you on the sidelines of faith. He wants to keep you on the sidelines of relationships. He wants to keep you on the sidelines of church life or serving together. He wants to keep you on the sidelines. God is calling you back into the game. Number nine and number 10, I, got, I wanna move quickly here. Number nine is process. That process, because sometimes as we persevere, God's gonna show up and move quickly to bring a breakthrough, to cause us to experience a success. And isn't that how most times we would like, we would prefer it, right? <laughs> But what I've learned about God is that most times when he gives a dream or a destiny or a promise, he starts a process. He starts a process. And we see all throughout the word of God, I don't know anyone that was immune from it, Abraham and Sarah, Moses, David, even Jesus, all aware of a promise or an anointing or a calling from God and then had to walk through a process. Joseph, called to greatness, had a dream for his life to be a world changer and he would get to that dream, he would fulfill that purpose and that destiny, but the process that took him through the palace and the pit and the, or, or took him through the pit and the prison on the way to the palace. Genesis 50, 20 is where we get this scripture that many of us, or this concept from scripture that many of us are familiar with. This idea of what the enemy meant for evil, God will use it for good. And it was Joseph actually speaking to the very people that put him in the pit, that led him to the prison as God was calling him towards the palace. And he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. What seemed like a failure, I mean, can you imagine? Because one of Joseph's missteps was that he kind of bragged a little bit too much about the greatness that was on the inside of him and he for sure spoke to the wrong people about it and it caused for this process to be initiated in his life and don't you know that those people as they were watching him go to the pit and go to the prison were standing by and just and haters are gonna hate they were standing by and saying Joseph I thought you said you were called to greatness I thought you were called to a purpose I thought you said God had a calling on your life and I'm telling you, at any, at any of those moments, if, he, if Joseph had been willing to close up the book and, and, and stop allowing God to write the story of his life, there's, there's a chapter in your life that's gonna look like a failure if you just open the book and point at that specific moment or chapter in your life, but God's not finished writing the story of your life. What seems like it will prevent or keep you from moving into the fullness of God's promise actually has a purpose. The process has a purpose. That's worth having you repeat after me. Come on, someone say, the process has a purpose. Lastly, past failures. Last Past failures, we're gonna have to overcome previous failures of previous seasons, that's oftentimes the key initiator of the fear of failure for the future things that God is calling us to. And you know, I, I'm just so thankful once again that the Bible doesn't shy away from the fact that people that were used of God in many mighty ways, great ways, 
people who were used to further God's kingdom, people who were used to bring deliverance to God's people, people who were used to further the gospel, people who were even used to write the very Bible that you and I now are inspired and, and encouraged and equipped by and edified from were all failures in one season or area of their life. Abraham lied and lied about his wife, by the way. That is not a good thing to get caught in. Elijah wanted to commit suicide. Joseph was betrayed and abused. Job went bankrupt. Moses was a murderer. Martha was a warrior. Samson was a womanizer and a compromiser. Rahab was a prostitute. She made the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Noah was a drunkard. Samaritan woman was divorced multiple times. Jonah ran from God and God's call upon his life. Jacob was a cheater and deceiver. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Peter denied Christ three times, even using profanity in the presence of schoolgirls. Paul persecuted Christians to the point of death, and then God used him to write 30% of the New Testament. Proverbs 28, 13 says, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful, but if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, I'm convinced neither life nor death, angels nor demons, the present or the future, any powers, heights, depths, anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It says the present or the future, the past is not mentioned. The past isn't mentioned there because the past can keep us from moving forward in faith if we don't allow the Lord to forgive us and heal us and cause us to have a different perspective about what we've gone through. I might have, I might have really made the mistake. I might have really experienced the rejection. But I'm thankful that as I read the word of God, I see man after man and woman after woman who made mistakes even worse than I've made. And God was still able and willing to redeem their past and lead them forward in faith towards their future. Come on, if you're grateful for a God who will redeem your past and I invite you to continue to move forward in faith towards the purposes and the goodness and the destiny and the purposes that he has for your life. Come on, can we just thank the Lord with a clap of praise and just thank you, Lord. Man, he's good. All right. Would you stand up to your feet and let's just respond. I want to give the Lord an opportunity to encourage you a little bit further, maybe minister to you specifically or individually with however this is landing in your life, in your heart, in the call of God that's upon your life, and the thing that, or things that you were created for, called to, saved for. And so right where you are, would you just ask the Lord, just say, Lord, what are you speaking to me? What, what are you reminding me of? What are you revealing in my heart? What are you calling me out of and calling me into? Where are the places where maybe I experienced a real hurt, real disappointment, real rejection, real misstep, real mistake, maybe even a real failure? That maybe even there's just, there's no way around it. I mean, it just didn't go the way that it was supposed to go or the way that you thought it would go. And in that place, maybe the enemy has built up one of these strongholds that is the fear of failure, the fear of moving forward, the fear of ever loving again, the fear of ever serving again, the fear of giving again, the fear of going again fear of trying again, the fear of believing again, the fear of trusting again. All those things are tied up to that fear of failure we read about in the parable of those talents. Lord, we, we, we say what you've entrusted to us, our testimony, our gifts, our giftings and callings and abilities, Lord, we, we won't bury them. We won't allow the enemy to cause fear of, fail, of failure 
a rejection to cause us to bury the things, the life that you've called us to live. And I thank you, Lord, that today you're calling people back off the sidelines and into the game of life in all those areas and others. There's specific ones that the Lord might be speaking to you about or helping you with today. And we thank you for it, God. And I pray, Lord, that on the other side of, of maybe a, a revelation and a healing and a, and a breakthrough, God, that there would be forward motion, Lord, not callously or carelessly or casually, Lord, but again, focused on your people, the blessing that we're called to be to others, focused on your presence, God, pursuing you and doing something that, that causes us and challenges us to desperately need you to show up in our life, to be the grace that we need, to be the strength that we need, to provide the hope for our future, to provide the resources that we need, God. And we just thank you for it, Lord. Let it, let it, let it be um, evidence, Lord, individually with individual men and individual women, individual marriages and families and homes and futures, God. Let it be a part of the distinction of this church family, Lord. Let us, let us dream big and start small, Lord. Let us not hold back because of procrastination or presumption, Lord. Let us prioritize and let us pursue, Lord, the things that matter most to you, God. And let us be a church that makes a great difference, Lord, starting today. Lord, in the lives of our own precious loved ones, Lord, in the lives of our co-workers, Lord, in the lives of people in this community, God. And we, we thank you, Lord, that we would, that fear would have no hold over us because perfect love casts out all fear. And because we can, we can know and we can understand that the same thing is true for us as was true for the men and women of old who dealt with the spirit of fear. God came to Joshua and he said, you be strong and you be courageous for I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And we thank you, Lord, that we don't have to do it or go about it in our own strength. You're with us, you're for us, you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. And come on, how many of us would live differently if we really believe that in a new or fresh or deeper way? And it's the truth today. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, and come on, all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Hey, one more moment to just give people the opportunity to make the most important decision they'll ever make for all of eternity. It's what hangs in the balance for you if today you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Or maybe you once knew God and loved God, maybe even grew up in the church, but you've drifted from him, and you're what the Bible would describe as a prodigal son or daughter. And today, if that's you, you've drifted from God, gotten preoccupied, made some bad decisions, maybe kind of tried to go it in your own way or your own strength. Today, just like in that parable of the prodigal son in the Bible, the, the posture of the father is longing, it's hoping, it's looking, it's anticipating that moment where you will come back home to him. And if you go back and reread that parable, the father was waiting with arms wide open. He, the father ran, in fact, to welcome, to embrace that one who had, who had drifted, who had gone his own way, but was coming back home to his, to his er earthly father. And today, if that's you, your heavenly father's posture is no different to you. Th those are red letter words Jesus was describing to us. His heart towards those who would drift away from him. And he, his, he's just like this. He's saying, would you just come home? Would you just come home? You don't have to get your life all cleaned up and right. You don't have to get good to get me. You, you just come home to relationship. And then through, from a place of relationship, maybe there's some things we can start working on and making right in your life. But right now, the Father's just saying, would you come home to me? So if that's you, you've drifted from God or you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, right now, this is your moment. With every head bowed, with eyes closed around this room, here's what we wanna ask you to do. Would you lift your hand towards heaven? 
We're not going to make you come forward. We're not going to put you on the spot. But would you lift your hand? Would you say, that's me. I need, I need to come back to my heavenly father. That's me. I need to feel the weight of my sin lifted off of me in a way that I can't do. That's the message of the gospel. That's what Jesus came to do for you. And so, Lord, we thank you for these precious people who have responded today. This lifting of this hand is just an outward sign, a simple outward sign of something powerful that's happening on the inside of their hearts. The Bible describes it as all the old things being passed away and, and, and new creation in, in, their, in its place. The Bible describes it as being born again, a new life, a fresh start. And so, Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing in lives today. And if you raised your hand in this room and online, you can lower it. And here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray. There were some amazing people that said yes to Jesus today. We're gonna pray this prayer with you. It's what we do every week for two reasons. We wanna help you know that there's a church family that's gonna come alongside you and stand with you and pray with you and help you to begin to move forward in an active life of faith that God's invited you to. And if you stumble like God's word says you might, we'll be there right there with you, help you get up and help you keep moving towards God. And the second reason we do it every week is because it just, it reminds us as a church family that even as God is growing us in our faith, maturing us in our faith, we never graduate from grace. So let's, let's pray this together. Come on, pray it boldly. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize my need for a savior. And I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price I couldn't pay, to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start. And I give you my life and I give you my trust. And because of Jesus, come on, say, I will never be the same. And then put your hands together because heaven's rejoicing right now. Heaven's rejoicing right now for people that came home to God today. Hey, come on, let's worship the Lord together one more time. Then we'll come, we'll dismiss you, get you about your day.